Hello and welcome to the first episode of Making Evangelism Simple Again. Um, and the aim of this podcast, as we set out in our intro episode, which was about two seconds long, uh, is to explain uh, evangelism and apologetics, not apart from book knowledge, but to sort of uh, use that book knowledge in a way that supports and helps uh, in application. We want to be helping people who either have book knowledge or no knowledge of evangelism and apologetics and helping them to get to the point where they uh, understand a little bit more um, about how to go about acting evangelistically or apologetically based on the experience and wisdom of people who would have actually had to use either evangelism or apologetics. Um, so our guest on this first episode is uh, Daniel Frampton of the Table Church. He Howdy. is the, uh, what is your official um, title? There? Grand High Muckety Muck. You sure? No, I'm the Ministry Development Director. and I don't know what that means either. We kind of made it up. Well, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, have you had much use for evangelism or apologetics in either your field of work or in other parts of your life, would you say? Uh, yeah. I... That question, to me, seems kind of like saying, do I have any use for my legs? And, you know, I do like to play video games, so sometimes the answer to that feels like no, but generally speaking, I do need my legs, and evangelism and apologetics are words that describe part of the Christian life that you can't really not need, so yes... I do feel like I have use for them. Out of the two, do you think there's one that's more important or valuable for what you generally do on a daily basis? Uh, I think that evangelism is part and parcel of the Christian life. We're, we're people who have been saved by Jesus and the good news and he left us here instead of doing something else like taking us to heaven or coming back and remaking the world so that we can be a witness to the good news uh, with our lives and with our words and actions. So I feel like evangelism is non-negotiable for everybody. Uh, it's just part of life as a Christian. Uh, which I'll maybe explain what I mean by that later, but apologetics is, I think, more of a component of evangelism. Uh, the part specifically that deals with making a rational defense for the truth of our beliefs, which is a part of a bigger whole that includes um, helping people see not only that Christianity is intellectually satisfying, which I think is a lot of what apologetics is about, but it's also experientially satisfying and showing people that life with God and in relationship with Him uh, made possible by what Jesus did for us is also more experientially satisfying than anything else, any other way of life, any other religion or set of religious beliefs can offer. Uh, and that goes 
beyond apologetics, though it includes it. So I guess I would say of the two that evangelism is a bigger thing that apologetics is a part of, in okay. my understanding. So w- would you then say that apologetics is should be used as a tool to save, or that it should be... Uh, or do you think that it generally is not that way? Is generally not used that way? Uh, depends what you mean by using it as a tool to save. Uh, using it as a tool to <clears throat> evangelize. So you're saying it, it's used uh, and it's part of evangelism. Mm-hmm. But what I'm asking really is like, um, is th- is then your take on it that uh, um, that people just need. Uh, an intellectual reason to believe sometimes? Or do you think that generally apologetics doesn't save, but proves something that there is like a reasonable mm. uh, reason to believe? Got it. Okay. Do you want the long answer or the short answer? Uh, I don't know. I mean, the podcast uh, <laughs> form can get pretty long, so, you know, either. Let's do this then. Okay. So... Let's go back to the way that God created us, I think is important. Um, A lot of people have an understanding of Christianity that assumes that we are heads on sticks and places a lot of emphasis on our minds as the part of us that drives our decision-making and our relationship with God, uh, etc. But God made us as people with hands, hearts, and heads. We're sort of tri-part people, and all three of those parts are important um, to our relationship with God, to our lives, to the way that we come to faith. Um, Maybe I should say the way that God brings us to faith, because I'm Reformed, so I've got a unique slant on this, but um, I think that the intellectual side of belief is just one part of the faith in Christ that saves us. And I think that James is really clear that you know even demons believe in God. So there's, there's this aspect that having a right intellectual knowledge about Christianity and about God and about the gospel is insufficient in and of itself to save anybody. So from that perspective, apologetics by itself can't get the job done because just uh, helping people see the rationality of of belief is addressing the head, not necessarily the heart or the hands, meaning hands in the sense of our our behavior, our actions, our way of life. Um, So I would say that apologetics... Um, helps people remove some of the intellectual obstacles to a faith that is actually more primarily about trusting Jesus to be something to us and less about believing certain things about him. Obviously, there are some things that it's important and necessary to believe about him, to really have a right relationship with him. You you don't believe that he's God, then you're not going to 
be able to place your trust in him to be your savior and your king and your God because you don't believe it. So there's there's clearly like an intellectual component to that, that things you need to assent to intellectually. Right. Mm-hmm. But what saves us is not believing objectively that Jesus died on the cross to save. It is believing that I am trusting Jesus to have taken all of my deserved separation from God and my death and my shame and my guilt upon himself to be me there so that none of those things come on me and trusting him to give us his life in exchange for ours. So it's much more of a faith in the sense of trust than faith in the sense of intellectual assent that saves us. And the word in scripture um, can mean both. And it, it's sort of a combination of those, 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 those two things that we separate in English, but in Greek weren't really. Mm-hmm. So uh, throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, faith in the sense of an intellectual assent to something wasn't even a concept that they had. Faith in God was trust in God because he's trustworthy. So, did I answer the question? <laughs> I, I think so. Okay. Yeah, so I think the role of apologetics is to sort of clear the way for that more heart-oriented, placing your, your trust in and your, like your, your personal investment in your relationship with God. Um, so it's still important, but not of primary importance. So, so would you say, as associate pastor thingy leadership of the Thingamawatsits uh, for the table, um, <laughs> do you think that you you address more of the head to people or more the heart and the hands? I guess if if I would for for the for the sake of this episode, let's just assume that apologetics is solely being referred to as as addressing um, the sort of head and the evangelism is sort of the heart in the hands just to just to divide the two uh just just for you know the sake of the the i reject your divisions i know i know you do and i reject them too (laughs) but just for the sake of simplicity do you find that you you address apologetically quite often or more of the broad uh evangelism uh so one of the contexts where this plays out in my role is i've been getting an opportunity to preach about every month and a half which has been really intimidating but exciting and part of our vision for how we preach at the table uh, Brad Edwards and I Brad being the lead pastor um, is that we want to make sure that our services and our preaching are uh, comprehensible to both Christians and non-Christians uh, directed to both Christians and non-Christians and uh, and we believe that part of the way that Christians grow is actually very similar to the way that non-Christians come to faith in Christ, which is that we, we all need to hear the gospel over and over again, and we all need we be- belief and like wrestling with doubts and deepening our understanding of and faith in Jesus and, and the truths of our faith doesn't stop when you get saved. It's a lifelong process of our our hearts and our hands and our minds being uh, refined and reordered and reorganized around God. 
Um, so that means that our, our sermons try to be touching on all of those areas as often as we can. So we're trying to, in a sermon, both answer the question of um, why um, why does this make sense and answer sort of intellectual objections to an idea that may be in a passage as well as like why should I want to believe this and asking the question of why is the truth in this passage desirable to believe both for mm-hmm. Christians and non-Christians so for example I preached a sermon on um, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago it was Mark 15 verses 33 to 39. It was the death of Jesus on the cross. And so I, I had to ask myself a question. Okay, what am I going to say about this? There's a ton to say about this. I could go in a lot of directions. And I wrote an entire sermon focused on intellectual objections to why did Jesus need to die for me if I, let's say, didn't want him to? Or I don't believe that I owe anything to God. I believe that uh, I'm an independent individual, and I never agreed to give God anything, so why is he going all these lengths to forgive me of something that I never agreed to do in the first place? So I wrote this whole sermon about kind of going into those intellectual objections, talking about why we do owe God everything, and how we were created to have him at the center of our lives, and when we don't, everything gets extremely messed up. But that ended up leading me into also, why would you want to believe that? Because the two things are connected. Why would I want God at the center of my life? Why would I want to be in relationship with him? And the answer is not uh, necessarily an apologetic one. It's an experiential one of, um, let's all be honest, our lives are really jacked up without God at the center. And we and I had written out a long section on this. Just we things are not going well for any of us when we don't have God at the center of our lives. We place ourselves at the center of our lives. We try to organize everyone around us around our needs. We live our lives for our desires and our desires lead us astray most of the time they're not good guides for us as much as we'd like to believe that they are they lead us into conflict with each other they lead us into addiction they lead us into dissatisfaction disorganized relationships strife and so it's not just a matter of arguing to people to understand the intellectual reasons why uh, we need to be forgiven. It's answering the question of like, why would I want to be? And um, that's the kind of approach that we take to preaching. Mm-hmm. And because I believe that that is that kind of process of having our hearts reorganized and understanding why uh, our relationship with God is not just the right thing or that it's true, but that it's desirable. That kind of plays out in all my other roles as well when I meet with people to talk about life or when I meet with um, the other side of my job, which is overseeing uh, our ministry where we have groups of Christians who are helping one another grow in their faith and in their, their Christian life. 
Um, those conversations look pretty similar. It's hmm. talking about how do we understand the Bible and how we understand the Christian life better, but also why should we want to? And getting with the head and the heart and the hands in the sense that we we want to change all of us in some ways. We're all dissatisfied with our behavior, whether we recognize it as sin or not, or whether it's just something that we don't like. And uh, the what we have in our head, what we have in our heart, our, our, our beliefs and our trusts and our affections drive our behavior. So all three of those things end up connected no matter which way you approach it. So, so yes, that's an example sort of inseparable then? <laughs> I would say they are inseparable, yes. Okay. I think that answering the the needs of our, our our minds and our thoughts to be reordered is inseparable from our passions and our desires and our longings and our loves and what we worship. Um, and what we worship and what we believe and think uh, all come to a head in what we do. So, yes, they are inseparable. Okay. Um, that's a lot of the uh, – that's sort of the point of this podcast is is really to see um, not only differing viewpoints, but just how sometimes solely reading books you don't really seem to fully understand – uh, that sort of thing, because uh, me personally, I, I've read quite a few books on the separate topics of apologetics and evangelism, mm -hmm. and they both treat them in completely different lights. One is sort of more cold, hard, science-y fact, and the other one is like more just mm -hmm. emotional mm -hmm. stuff. And, the, and the, I think it is interesting and important to understand that they're not exactly that separate no. separatable and uh and <laughs> no. um, that if you do that you're sort of missing out on some of the nuances of both mm -hmm. yep and i would say too that like apologetics in christian circles often gets pulled out and separated like that as its own separate thing as if it happened somewhere separate from our relationships uh but it it doesn't like these kinds of things come up in the context of our lives they come up in the context of our our struggles um i've had very few apologetics conversations those are air air quotes around that word um people will ask these questions in the context of like pain that they're experiencing or loss that they've experienced or uh, disorder in the world that they're afraid of um I've had very few instances where people just want to talk about it sort of by itself. And mm -hmm. th th I know those happen. Like there are conferences and there are like conversations and debates that occur that are important. But I think on the ground for the Christian life, apologetics and, and answering questions about why is our faith reasonable happen in day-to-day -day conversations. They happen right in the middle of trying to explain to one another why the gospel is important, not really in isolation from that stuff. Very valuable information, for sure. So you'd say, like, rarely ever, rarely ever do you really experience a time when somebody's just intellectually attacking your faith and saying, well, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. 
Uh, a few times, sure. It comes up. I mean, I. Uh, it's usually on the internet because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's where that's where the trolls go. And I don't I don't mean to belittle people who'd want to ask questions like that, but I feel like whenever I have conversations about this stuff with people in person, it it very rarely comes across as coldly intellectual and argumentative and as, as it does when it happens on the internet. Like mm-hmm. The internet just draws that out in people uh, for a number of reasons. I could get into my theories of why the internet is a terrible place to talk, but <laughs> it, it basically, it one of the things, the important thing for this is on the internet, you write things down and you sort of send them off into the world. And when that, but if, if you did that in a conversation, it wouldn't, come across as much like a declaration of ultimate truth as it does when you do it on the internet something about like writing something in on the internet even if it's in a dumb place like a comment thread after a blog post people take it as you're taking a strong stance and this is like your fully articulated you know dogma about this thing and therefore they can pick apart it and look for nuances and debate tiny little points and you know when you're having a conversation with someone it's much more natural it's much more like inherently gracious because you know when you say stuff we don't all like have every nuance figured out of any every sentence that comes out of our mouths and you give one another a bit of room to like clarify things or give one another the benefit of the doubt and I've found that when you're in person, again, like, it's much more somehow unified. Like, I would feel free to, in a conversation with someone in person, and I have, when things have come up about, like, debating the truth of Christianity, it usually ends up being very integrated with all of that other stuff, with, with life, with personal concerns. And I, I would be able to make that turn to, like, why are you personally feeling this doubt about God's goodness and start to get into like, what is that person's life and what's happening in their life that's bringing up those uh, objections to the goodness of God? Because that doesn't just come out of nowhere. That usually comes out of they've experienced pain or are experiencing pain and loss. And, when you're in person and you're able to go there, it makes the whole thing a lot more human and less robot <laughs> and less intellectual and de- and argumentative and ungracious. And you start to see the people, not just the questions and not just the, the argument. So, yes, I have had, <laughs> I've had very intellectual arguments with people. Like I got into a debate with some people on Reddit, which was, not really a good idea because it's a terrible place yeah, a to a b place. and b yeah. to like have any kind of meaningful conversation because that's where the trolls are um but even there like yeah it it's um we ourselves contribute to the way that we lead those conversations in the direction of being really intellectual and argumentative or whether we lead them in the direction of gracious in our tone seeking to understand the other party and and try to make room for like 
we are to human beings with human frailties and human problems talking about something and not to robots and not to professors and scholars trying to come at this. And, and I think that that has made all the difference for me betwe- between like dreading ap- apologetics and evangelism and coming to see it in a more positive light as just, I have something that I believe is really, really good and it would be unloving of me to not want to invite other people into it, to share it. Mm-hmm. So would you say that uh, when somebody is <clears throat> deciding to act, uh, quote-unquote, apologetically, that they should steer clear of uh, trying to make it an intellectual debate and instead sort of try to lean towards real, like, true evangelism, trying to, like, really convert themselves? Like, no no frivolous debates. Would you Would you say that that's important to sort of steer clear of, or...? Yes, although I would say not that you shouldn't steer clear of it as much as I think you should um, transform it by seeking to understand and see the people on the other side of that conversation. Um, I don't think there's there's really anything frivolous in the Christian faith. I mean, there are topics that are like more or less central to Christianity. I don't think that it's worthless to discuss any of them per se, but I think when you, what, what makes it unproductive is when you come into a conversation with someone more concerned about winning than you are concerned about the good of the other person. Yeah. So, and that's just true, like in any relationship, like in, in communication in general, but particularly if you're talking about our faith, like if you come into a conversation, no matter what like subsection of Christianity you're discussing with someone, and it's about you winning and not about the good of the other person, you are going to be bearing false witness to the love of Jesus through your tone and the way that you're acting. Hmm in ways that people will remember more than the words and the arguments that you said, they're going to remember how you were a jerk. And yeah, that's <clears> probably <throat> not a good way to share the love of Christ. No, uh, no. Or to carry out the great commission or anything like that. So not really. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I would say not, I don't, I don't think you should steer clear of it. And like I said, I think it's, it's not so much of a like, be experiential instead of being intellectual. I think it's just a, it's more of a like, unite the two things and understand that we're that people are more than just heads. They're people with longings and a need, a deep, deep need for a God who offers value and forgiveness and embrace and belonging and purpose um, to lives that are looking for that in a lot of wrong places. Not just people who need to be talked into something. Hmm. So That's very good. Um, yeah, so do you think uh, it's important to like know your stuff, to read books about about those sorts of topics, or do you think a lot of it is... Uh, or most of it is experience and staying in the Word and having a good relationship with God. Mm. Do you think it is essential 
to have a lot of uh, book knowledge, would you say? Yeah. Here's And this is going to be like the counterpoint to everything else that I've said. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you can take kind of what I've just said, and I've known many people who have, and uh, go in the direction of anti-intellectualism mm. with the Christian faith and have this opinion that like getting into the nitty-gritty of theology and understanding the Bible in, in the really small, specific ways is a waste of time or that it obscures the more important things. And while I think that can be true, what can come out of that like knee-jerk reaction against those things, uh, it can bring you to a place of not thinking enough about your faith. So can it bring you to a place of Joel Osteen? Is that what you would say? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Joel, bless his heart, doesn't really care a whole lot about sticking to what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. Um, And he likes to take things out of context. Like like a mile out of context. So, uh, but I'm talking more about like, um, so this is going to be, it's going to feel like a tangent, but here's something to help me understand this. The, uh, if we didn't think about these things and wrestle with them and talk to one another about them and, and push into our questions um we the new testament would look a lot different and here's what I, here's what I mean by that um god i believe god inspired the writing of the new testament but i believe that he did it through people and their motivations and their experiences crazy talk crazy talk yeah i know <laughs> and one of the one of the main things that was the impetus for like most of the new testament was normal people like us thinking about their faith and applying it to new situations and looking to their scriptures, which is at the time was the Old Testament and probably, you know, the Gospels or, um, you know, what had been passed down of those stories before they were written down. And using that to answer new questions that were being brought up that had never been asked before and weren't specifically dealt with in Scripture. So you see Paul wrestling with, okay, um, how do we, like, what does God have to say about this new situation that we've never faced before of Jewish, Christian, and Gentile Christians trying to figure out what to eat together when they get together for church, which is one of the topics in later Romans. Or... What do we do with food sacrificed to idols? And what do we do with um, heresies that were just springing up that they didn't know were going to happen until they happened? And um, and so, like, we <laughs> in the New Testament, we basically have this, this blueprint for, like, yeah, we've got to think about our faith, and we have to be constantly doing the act of theology— uh, theology is a verb of like taking scripture and taking the truths that we know and thinking hard about how do they apply to new questions and new situations that are arising. So if you don't do that, uh, you're, you're unprepared or you are retreat 
from from culture and the questions that are coming up you're you're not helping people see how old truths are relevant to new situations you're not understanding your own life um bad bad stuff happens and you, you can create a a reclusive uh, we're we're not going to try to answer the questions. We're going to put ourselves inside a bubble that's nice and safe, and only read the people that we agree with, and not <laughs> not think and not argue and not like hash things out. Um. So, yes, I think it's definitely important to think about our faith. I think that was your question. Maybe. It's it's pretty What's close. My my question was about uh, <laughs> book knowledge being required, and what ah, you're saying is okay. that it is, uh, in some senses, almost required. Not like in specifically that you should always be like reading books about these things, but whatever. Mm-hmm. But that you should be intellectually exercising. Yes, your, you got to turn brain. that brain on, and yeah. you got to you got to really light it up. And and part of that is. Uh, a big part of that is, especially for people who haven't really done that before, who have maybe felt comfortable just receiving the answers that they're given and not pushing at the boundaries of their, their doubts and their questions. It What supports that, it really, that, that pursuit of truth is a trust that our God is big enough to like sustain you through that and that he's big enough to to really there, there's no question that we can ask of him that he's not sufficient to answer in some way yeah so um and again i think this is something that's true not just for like the topic of apologetics which is sort of you know processing the intellectual side of our faith be with non-Christians. But it's it's something that we all ought to be doing just as a part of our normal Christian lives. And and we will, whether you like it or not, questions are going to come up that must be answered. Um, and, and it's healthy, and it leads us into places of deeper union with God and trust in Him and appreciation of of God and the gospel and the Christian faith that if you kind of shy back from those, those doubts and never deal with them, you don't grow, you don't mature. So uh, yeah, that's so it's, it's, uh, <laughs> apologetics is not only a thing to be thought of for simply convincing other people, but mm-hmm. it, it's a uh, helpful for understanding our own faith. Mm-hmm. All right, so I think it's about time to wrap up. Um, just one more question. Hit me. Uh, could you give maybe maybe three uh, things that we should keep in mind when acting evangelistically or apologetically or basically the same thing? So just, yeah, maybe three things that people should just keep in mind mm-hmm. uh, when participating in those uh, things in their daily lives. Yes, I can. First would be, this is probably echo what I said earlier, but we need to not only help people understand what Jesus is offering to save them from, but what Jesus is offering to save us for. 
there's there's a view out there that the the gospel is somehow not good unless it's compared with like set in contrast with bad news. So there's this emphasis on we have to help people, we have to convince people of their need for forgiveness uh, and and the threat of of condemnation or the threat of hell specifically before they'll somehow want Jesus. And I don't think that is healthy. I think that's that's one aspect that should be communicated, sure. But what under what's underlying that, like what makes what makes condemnation from God or or punishment by God bad is that it 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 entails separation from God. And to to understand like why separation from God is bad, you have to go beyond trying to scare people with like fiery language about hell, even though that's true and that's in scripture, and get into separation from God is bad because union with God is good. And that's where you can make this turn into understanding like we're not only through Christ saved from condemnation, but we're saved for relationship with God and for union with him and restored fellowship with him. And that is the best thing in the universe. And that is what heaven, that's what makes heaven desirable. And that's what makes the Christian life desirable. Um, Otherwise, you're going to be fighting this uphill battle, uh, a a losing battle of trying to convince people (laughs) that um, to be afraid of something uh, before they will somehow know that they need it um, when it, it, it seems a, a much more loving thing that we can we can perceive our evangelism people as something much more loving when we see it as we have an amazing thing and not just amazing because of what it gets us out of but amazing because of what it lets us into and then we can seek to share the good news with people because we really believe that it's good not just because we want to get people out of something bad, mm-hmm. although that's also true. So, so that'd be that'd be one thing. <laughs> a long thing. <laughs> a long thing. Yeah. Uh, B. I think just kind of what I said earlier. I'll just start repeating myself to fill up number two and three. Treat people like people. Don't see people as arguments to be won, or people to be one to your cause or to the Christian cause. Because um, that, that's going to lead you to treat them unlovingly, like nine times out of ten. Um, see them as people like you with doubts and needs and feelings and desires and longings um, so that you can show people the grace of Christ in the way that you converse with them uh, which will probably be much more memorable than maybe even what you say, although that's important too. And then the third thing could be, yeah, in, engage engage your mind with your faith, uh, not just for apologetics or not just for how you can understand it so that you can defend it, but also for yourself and see that maturing as a Christian comes through 
being honest with our own doubts and our own questions, uh, and that there's there's more uh, there's more life with God on the other side of that, and God is big enough to handle your doubts and your questions, and even invites us to be honest about them with Him, and that like really owning those things as our as our own doubts is going to leave you in a place where you'll be able to then defend and explain those things to non-Christians, not as something outside yourself that you read in a book and you were told once was important to know, but it's something that is important to you. And you'll be able to say much more personally, this helped me understand this, and this has brought me a lot of peace, and this has brought me a lot of like, like satisfying the real honest questions of my mind and the needs of my heart. Uh, and you'll be able to be more honest and more personal. And that speaks to people a lot more than memorizing arguments from a book that you may not personally connect with uh, can. Uh, although reading books is great. It should never be <laughs> devalued. So Never. Never. Never! All right. There was a lot of good stuff there so uh, uh for anybody taking notes we need to uh make sure you write down stay off reddit don't go uh, there things like that um there if, be trolls <laughs> there be trolls um if you uh enjoyed this or found it useful uh why not share it because that would be great um that's that's the point of this is to get it out to get the the word out there or rather the words because I, I feel like there were quite a few uh, in this episode quite we went we went on a bit long the other episodes the other episodes might not be quite as long but it's still i win a, a decent podcast length uh respectable and um i've got a fourth one. Oh, oh no okay go ahead this is a corollary to stay off of reddit talk okay. to people talk to people in person like as much as possible don't try to have these conversations on the internet because it just doesn't go well that's all. Mm-hmm. When you're across a table from somebody, just a lot of this stuff happens naturally. That is really, really difficult or impossible to try and make happen on the internet. That's all. That's good. Go meet people. Yeah. Thanks for uh, coming on here. Uh, yep. It's it's very appreciated, and I hope I can do justice in the editing to preserve the actual meat of what you said, because mm-hmm. there was a lot of background noise. I'm going to have to try to cut that out. Uh, sorry about if there is any uh, remaining background noise uh, if you're listening to it. Um, but yeah, that's that's the episode. Um, we'll probably have another one, uh, depending on the schedule, in a week or a week and a half. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. See you.